hello friends. This is an Apple Music interview version of the world-famous Emo Dad podcast. What does this mean? No music. Why? Apple doesn't let us play songs. Does it sound a bit weird when we introduce a song and nothing happens? Nah. But, you know, you still get the conversation and all the good times. For the full version, switch on over to Spotify and search Emo Dad. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hello, friends. We're extremely excited. Welcome to another special edition of Emo Dad. My name is James. My name is Matt. And today we're speaking to Will McGonagall of Hell is for Heroes. And here is You Drove Me To It. Okay, all in. Um, so we like to start right at the beginning. Um, so could you say what your earliest memory of music was? Uh, I suppose my earliest memories is probably just like listening to what my sister would be listening to. She was like five years older than me. Wow. So kind of just, you know, inheriting whatever was coming out of her bedroom, really. Um, and for the most part, it was quite good. I suppose there was a period where just whatever was on TV on like a Saturday morning would be your very first kind of experience of stuff. My mum and dad uh, are Irish and we're kind of into like Irish country and Western, but also American country and Western. Uh, so, you know, there was some really bad cheesy stuff in there, but also some stuff that kind of stuck with me, you know, throughout, you know, like they were big Johnny Cash fans, I suppose. And that one, felt like you know you could kind of get into it whenever you're a teenager but my sister it was kind of stuff like U2 and um and like English indie stuff like Wonder Stuff and Ride and things like that um yeah that's probably the, the early stuff wow uh yeah good times who was that band who had two bass players was that um Ned's Atomic Dustbin oh yeah I think it was that <laughs> there was that around that time period yeah, some of the, some of the boys in uh, in Hellas for Heroes are big Neds fans. Wicked, yeah, good times. <laughs> um, so, what was the um, what, what would you say was the first music you kind of felt like was yours? Uh, I mean, whenever I was in primary school, I was probably more into playing football than listening to. Okay. Music, to be honest, it wasn't until like you know maybe hitting eleven or twelve years old that music really started to hit home uh, and I think probably the stuff that had the biggest effect on me at the time was probably the Smashing Pumpkins stuff like that uh, you know I liked Nirvana and all that stuff because that was kind of breaking just at the right time for, you know the, the age yeah, yeah. I was and stuff it was kind of like we, we were kind of there at the, at the right time so I was into all of that stuff and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and all of that stuff and then again in the playground like people's bigger brothers would kind of like turn you on to like just faster kind of punk stuff, like more kind of hardcore and stuff like that. And that was more like the Discord and 
and equally epitaph and all that kind of stuff you know so it went from like the kind of serious and political all the way through to the kind of goofy and the silly uh was into into it all but yeah like it was uh smashing pumpkins was probably the one where i kind of would go into my bedroom and play along to the record and teach myself how to play guitar do you know what i mean yeah yeah wicked um would that have been like siamese dream kind of yeah. smashing pumpkins yeah exactly i just kind of like play I, that's kind of just kind of learn it through sound you know just mimicking it you know what i mean i'm sure it kind of had a start uh, had an influence in just i don't know maybe the way that i put little riffs together and stuff as well but yeah, yeah i can siamese dream was a big one yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that link. That seems obvious to me with the size of Siamese Dream and, and, and the thickness of the guitars and stuff. Yeah, 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 I loved it. Yeah, that sounds like a good link. I mean, how, how did you start playing guitar? Uh, just, you know, we were all just getting into music and wanting to go to gigs and stuff like that, like me and my mates. Uh, and then just the next progression was like trying to make that noise ourselves, you know, okay. trying to do that. So kind of, picked up a secondhand guitar. I actually got a Saturday job in a guitar shop uh, just with the sole kind of aim of being able to kind of like sit there and play the guitar really, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So um, it was just kind of like, a, we just desperately wanted to do it after like seeing our favorite bands. We just, me and the, a small circle of friends, we just really got like obsessed with it all really. and. Uh, and yeah, wanted to do it ourselves. And we started playing in um, youth clubs and stuff, stuff like that, and trying to put on gigs for our mates. Would that have been um, Shepherd's Bush area? Yeah, 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 that's right. Very cool. Sounds like fun. Um, so we, so if we should, we should, we like to play a kind of like an influencing song. So should we pick something from um, Siamese Dream? Yeah, sure. Have uh, you got a particular favourite? I mean, I love them all, so you choose. Um, oh, okay, I'm I mean, if you want me to, uh, let's go with Cherub Rock. That's like a cool Perfect. riff. It's a great riff. Okay, let's uh, have Cherub Rock by the Smashing Pumpkins. So you, you mentioned that you were kind of messing around with your mates, um, playing guitar. Was this um, the beginning of Symposium or were there bands that came before that? Yeah, no, that was that was kind of the beginning of it. Like um, we went through like a few little lineup changes, but there was like mm. a core, like, me and Ross and Joe and Hagop were kind of playing just kind of covers and stuff, probably from the age of like 13. Um, and we had like Ross's next door neighbor was like a bass player. Um, he played for a little while, and then we had another guy who came and played bass player again from from our school. And then I think the third bass player was was Wojtek, and that's when Rick kind of was called Symposium, and he uh, kind of just turned it into a more focused kind of thing because he he'd written a loads of songs, whereas we were going to this youth club on a Friday night and just setting up kind of like springboards and crash mats and kind of <laughs> that was it. That was like a good rehearsal was like, you know, just, you know, doing that with a guitar in your hand or whatever. And, and then it kind of, it became a little bit more kind of songy. 
I love that. So you, you, so you were, you, you were practicing your stage moves before you were practicing your songs. That was pretty pretty much it. They gave us like a little room, and we kind of would just wedge it shut, make as much noise as we could, just like playing little covers and stuff. Uh, But yeah, like practicing stage diving and kind of stuff like that. That was that was it. Uh, Yeah, we used to play like thirty seconds of tunes and like kind of run out of steam, and then just like drum fill straight back in and then we can like just do it again and like start stage diving again just on top of each other just like four of us and a couple whoever of our mates kind of like came in on that day you you imagine if someone that didn't quite understand just kind of peeked through the uh through the door (laughs) what the hell is going on like people would like laugh at us you know what i mean because like we were the only kind of indie kids or whatever in the in the youth center so we'd play football before we settled down to make noise but once we'd kind of like left the pitch and kind of just went to start playing music, then they were like, God, you lot are so weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea um, of playing football to calm down. <laughs> I mean, you know, just, just, yeah, it's a good fun. So um, I'm quite excited to, to speak to you all about some symposium stuff. Um, because at the time they were my favourite band, um, Confession. <laughs> I was in the fan club. Fair play. <laughs> I was. Uh, I've even got the fanzines somewhere in the loft, but I was. Uh, I didn't get time to to dig them out. I was going to bore you to death with some some of your own content back back oh, at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, how old were you when when symposium started? Then when you were kind of messing around and it it kind of got a bit more serious. Uh, so I think we were kind of taking it reasonably seriously from about. I must have been like 16 um, when we started taking it serious. And I think we were signed probably whenever it was like 17 or 18. Okay. It was like, you know, super young whenever you look back at it. Um, but yeah, it was like whenever Wojtek came in and kind of had some tunes and stuff like that, it felt like, you know, it's not just about crash mats and kind of springboards and stuff, you know, we can kind of have a little crack at it, you know, like playing real gigs. And as I said, we did some at the um, at the youth centre and stuff. And then we started getting, just like doing all the, the kind of toilet circuit of London back then, do you know what I mean? Which is kind of, a lot of them are still the same, but loads of them have, have gone. But we would just play whatever, we, you know, whatever show we could get, we would do. Uh, and, you know, the gig was the most important thing in my eyes, like more important than the actual music at the time. You know, it's just like, just wanted to be like a, good tight loud rock band that's what i wanted to you know i wanted to do do that kind of stuff yeah um and it's uh it's interesting what you say about the kind of messing around with the crash mats as you know as much as we kind of laugh about that um but when watching you guys symposium live it was always an incredible show like full-on energy um but it always just seemed like you were just having fun like that that was what came across to me as a as a young kid or however old I was. Um, but also, um, you know, even if you watch the videos back on YouTube now, it's it's the main thing that comes across. Was that very much the case? I think so. Like <clears throat> this was all um, such a long time ago that it was like yeah. pre-internet stuff. So yeah, that, you yeah. know, if you, you kind of had like a video of a band playing live, if you could you'd watch it a million times because, you know, you couldn't just skip on to the next thing or whatever. So whenever we got hold of like a good, like a kind of hardcore band kind of playing, 
we'd be like into the bands, but you'd like, I'd just be watching the mosh as well. Do you know what I mean? And just kind of like massively excited by what was going on down at the front. And that's kind of what I loved going to gigs as well. I, you know, I'd definitely go down the front all the time as a little kid. Uh, and then even as I got older and wanted to sit on the balcony and chug a beer, I still wanted to be at the front of the balcony to look right down and see what was going on at the, you know, in the front of the crowd. It was like, yeah, it was that kind of energy of the kind of, the kind of American punk bands that we were watching and just like how crazy it got in the crowd. I think that's, that was what we wanted to do. And your, I guess your style of music, it kind of allowed you to play with a huge variety of different types of bands. And, um, I just want to list some of the bands that you played with I've got in front of me because um, it's quite impressive. And correct me if any of these are wrong, but Metallica, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Foo Fighters, Deftones, No Doubt. And it goes on, Ash, Idlewild, I know you played a lot of times with. Um, that's pretty pretty good going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a was... bunch of lads <laughs> who started yeah. in the youth centre. Yeah, it definitely was. You know, there was, uh, there was like definite highlights. I, don't, I actually don't um I don't really look back at it um at all it's kind of only been prompted by by you <laughs> yeah do you know what I mean like whenever whenever it was finished I just kind of shut it off and uh, forgot about it until quite recently you know like um just had no kind of it just wasn't on my mind at all um we've started kind of having conversations and stuff recently just kind of all a bit older and a bit more kind of chilled, I suppose. Um, so yeah, is there is is there a, those conversations leading towards any chance of a, a reunion? No, I wouldn't say that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but you know, I, th- I think um, I think there's there's stuff happening, you know, to kind of like mark the fact that there was a band <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Because I think if, if you go online, there's probably not a great deal of uh, stuff that's uh that's there do you know what i mean i'm not sure the tunes are are up or anything like that no and that was one of the um a few people sent us questions to ask you and one of the questions which i had and got asked about five times to ask you is why aren't symposium on spotify i don't know what the answer uh, i don't know (laughs) someone's not pull it on there i yeah i think that's i think that's what it is and that's you know I, i hope i'm not kind of like uh giving something away by saying, I think that's going to happen pretty soon. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, I think, yeah, somebody's sorting it out. That'll, uh, that'll be a great day when that appears. Um, yeah. I've, one other thing that I just wanted to um, to ask you about Symposium before we, we move on to Headers for Heroes. Um, Reading 1998 main stage, Reading Festival. Um, you started smashing all your gear up during... Um, hard day's night um which if you watch the video back it was i believe you that started that (laughs) what actually happened there it just wasn't working it it it, uh yeah my guitar wasn't working so i smashed it that was and then it just that you know it was like i think everyone i can't even remember whether we'd started the song or not but certainly about to or it just started and my guitar wasn't working and you couldn't just stand there like a idiot for like three minutes while they just kind of just done it so I just smashed my guitar 
uh, maybe it was just before the song started actually, because now that I think about it, Ross just kind of took it to the next level, right? <laughs> yeah, it's um, well, for anyone that wants to see it, it's on YouTube. Um, we watched it the other day and yeah, it was um, before the song started and and it got a bit out of control and security looked pretty pissed by the end of it as they yeah. were dragging you guys off stage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I, I do remember like on the, we'd just come back like a couple of days before, I think, from, um, from an American tour because uh, I think we played a show with the Deftones a couple of days before that, like a little Reading warm-up at the garage, mm-hmm. which is like a, a big buzz for us being fans and stuff. But we'd done like the walk tour in America. Right, in yeah. The, like in the lead up to this thing. We were getting quite tight and quite kind of heavy. And like, you've kind of got a, you've got, a, if you're playing at a festival like that, you've got to kind of like stand your ground and kind of just, I don't know, make, make as much noise as you can or whatever. But I do remember like just going into pawn shops over there with like with a W and um they just have like super cheap guitars, like you know, you could kind of pick up a guitar for like 30 or 40 dollars. And so I just started doing that with my PDs uh, whenever we were on on tour in America. And then you yeah, then we would just kind of like get pissed and kind of like break it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that just that just became a bit of a thing. So I think I brought a few back, anyways. You know, because it was picking up guitars left, right, and centre. Uh, so yeah, it probably wasn't a great guitar that got mullered at Reading. It was probably one of those ones that I picked up in America for not very much money. Yeah, no wonder it broke. But yeah, exactly. It wasn't even working to begin with. <laughs> um, there was a couple of um, parts in Symposium songs. Um, which got carried over to Hell is for Heroes, um, like riffs and things like that, which I'm totally, we're both massively fascinated by kind of how that sort of process works. Can you, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, it was, um, as, as Symposium was coming to an end, it was kind of clear, it was, we were on a clear different paths to each other. Mm. It'd be like, there would be, um, lengths of time where we weren't talking like some of us weren't talking to each other and just turning up to rehearsals and kind of just looking at the ground and kind of you know just kind of getting through whatever had to be done do you know what I mean wow yeah Uh, and I you know I remember I was getting into kind of writing riffs instead of just playing playing riffs you know I kind of wanted to make some stuff so yeah kind of um uh, uh wrote those riffs and then just as the band was kind of winding down like because we, we did like put them into some kind of form of songs I think in symposium but as the band was coming to an end I was just like do you know what fuck this I'm taking them with me like <laughs> these riffs are too good to just like to have not done anything with at all because it was clear we weren't going to record any more music together and it was clear we weren't it wasn't going to have a life beyond you know the next couple of months or whatever it was uh, so yeah, then like I just kind of sh- I I seem to remember just kind of shut up shop really. So I kind of stopped sharing sharing riffs at that point, and um, uh, well yeah, just stopped thinking about it. I just thought like whenever, but pretty much the day after, I just kind of sh- just carried on tracking like loads of riffs that I kind of wanted to do. But that was two that were you know that was that was kind of like the 
little kind of crossover, I think, where I was starting to just write some riffs myself um, instead of just playing riffs. Which, when they happen to be kind of two of your, arguably your most famous um, riffs. There's, yeah, there's an argument for like keeping things simple, really. So, you know, like obviously things are quite simple at the beginning. But like, I, yeah, I seem to remember like riffs for like the first Hellas for Heroes album, they all came really quickly and really easily. So there were those, you know, like, and it was actually within quite a short period of time, I think. So if you kind of like count the the end of my time in symposium and then just straight after like, I don't know, maybe seven or eight of the riffs in the first album, just were all kind of had demoed on my eight track and stuff within a couple of months, uh, you know, and there were like four of us from Hellas for Heroes that were kind of, you know, playing, playing riffs every Saturday and kind of going for a beer. It was just about, yeah. Riffs. Yeah. Yeah, as you, as, I said that word so much. As, as you as you said, um, they were too good to to leave. So um, Yeah, you know, like if they'd had like any kind of life uh in in uh symposium, then I probably wouldn't have. But it felt like it was just it was still so junior. I think like we might have played them like once or twice and hadn't even committed to saying that song's finished or anything. So I was just like, mm. but you know, but I can climb mountains riff and like no man, I'm taking that. <laughs> I'm keeping I'm, that. I'm playing. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's like, uh, yeah, I, I knew it was good whenever I kind of came, whenever it, it came off yeah. the guitar. Do you know what I mean? It's I'm not going to be a dick about it. Um, so, I mean, normally at this stage we would play a symposium song, but as we've already discussed, we can't do that. So, um, maybe we could play a song from uh, I don't know one of the bands that you toured a lot with or that you particularly enjoyed hanging out with. Is there anyone that springs to mind? Uh, we toured with A quite a lot. They were okay. yeah really really good guys to go and talk, go on tour with. Um, we toured with them a few times, I think, they were, but they were always always great tour mates. Wicked. Any favourites from A? Might as well go big and go for nothing, right? Yeah, that sounds good to me. So uh, everyone enjoy Nothing by A. So as you were saying, that transition period felt very short between the two bands. So, and you played your first show in January 2001 as Hellas for Heroes, I think. Wikipedia says it was at the uh, Half Moon in Putney. Right, yeah. So that's therefore that's it must be true. Yeah. <laughs> um, when, how did, so So you said there were four of you um, playing riffs and going for a beer. Was it Was it quite open that you were going to start a band or was it still kind of like a, like, like just sort of a fun idea thing? Uh, I mean, it was a fun, the, the whole thing was meant to be for me. Uh, and, and as I say, like, I, I, my feelings towards symposium have kind of softened a lot in the last few months as we've started mm -hmm. talking and, you know, we're all kind of old men now and it's just, just try and be nice about everything. Yeah, sure. Possibly can. But um, my feeling at the time wasn't that it was kind of far more kind of black and white. Um, and I just wanted it to be everything that uh, symposium wasn't for it. I wanted to get from it what I wasn't getting from symposium. So, you know, it was meant to be just quite 
quite a kind of fair, easygoing, um, democratic kind of vibe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, although I kind of brought like a the, the first five or six riffs, we jammed them out. Everyone kind of wrote their own parts and stuff like that. But then also we quickly all started writing together as a unit. Do you know what I mean? It was all, and even if you didn't, it was just like, we would say everything was like, everything was a joint effort right. at the time. It was that, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, it was kind of instantly going to be, I was going to make a huge effort with it, but I was going to make an effort for it, for it to be exactly what I thought a band should be. Do you know what I mean? And it, so like, if you look at some of the early photos and stuff, I think, we're all just laughing our heads off and we're all being stupid. And, you know, it's quite, it's just quite nice that we were just kind of five chumps kind of playing like these kind of quite <laughs> rocking kind of tunes. I just, yeah. I really liked everything about our, our early stance and our early vibe. And, you know, there was no pressure as well. There was no kind of, we weren't working to a deadline or anything. So as I say, we would just, it was like me, Joe, he was the drummer in Symposium, Finn, who was like one of our best mates um, from, from school as well. And Tommy O'D, who went to our school as well. We would just meet up on a Saturday and kind of play for three hours in one of those kind of rehearsal rooms in North Acton. Um, and then duck back to the pub and kind of eat pizza and kind of drink beers. And that's all it, that's all it was. But it was just like, we got, got tight really quick. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It was like, oh, it'd be really good if there was like a, somebody kind of singing on top of this kind of thing. Uh, yeah, so then that that quickly became an aim to find a singer. And and how did you find how did you find your singer? Did you put a was it via an advert or was it did did you know him through friends most, of friends? Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. So I suppose like, you know, we at that point we did have kind of links in the industry, I suppose, and kind right. of you know, so there were people, he, I think uh, Justin was in another band um, that had been doing, had done like a demo, which we had heard. Um, but at the same time, we already had people kind of interested in what we were going to do. They kind of thought like, you know, the riffs that, that they'd heard us play. Sure. Uh, and just, I suppose, the fact that we were coming from another band, it's a little bit of a head start or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there was just somebody who kind of just put two and two together. It's like, well this guy would actually probably sound really good with you lot. Why don't you meet up? So we did, we just went out in Camden and just kind of got wrecked actually. And, then, uh, and yeah, because as I say, it was just kind of important. It was a social, democratic, fair, happy experience. Um, yeah, yeah, I hear that. That sounds so important, like yeah. after your experience. And what... Um... In that first drinking session in Camden, who were the bands? I imagine you're sort of talking music. Who were the bands you kind of bonded over? I can't remember, uh, you know, but like it's clear that we, there was like a pool of bands which we were all we were all into. I honestly can't remember much about it apart from just hitting four or five different places in Camden. <laughs> I was going to say you're too drunk to remember. Yeah, I, me- I remember that um, Justin's um, the band that he was in. It was kind of, um, I mean, it was really good actually it was probably not as heavy as uh what we were doing it was kind of indie a bit more melodic um but it was really yeah it's really impressed and he had like just a great voice and then you 
whenever we met him, he was just so easygoing from the off, like, because he was surrounded by four people that knew each other really well. And he just kind of like got stuck in and, you know, two hours later, we're all hugging and kind of. Oh, that's great. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, it, it all kind of came together quite quickly, I think. Um, and then a couple of months later, you go out on tour of support for Biffy Clyro. Um, um, yeah, no, we we both supported um, a band called Sunner. Oh, that's what okay. it was. Like, I think we were the first on, and they were the second on, and then yeah, we were both supporting supporting Sunner. Uh, yeah, that was like the first first time we came across the Biffy Boys. Uh, but yeah, obviously, just kind of you know, we were sharing a dressing room and not very many beers and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we just got on really well that was our first our first time with them and then very shortly after i think we did like another tour together like a little co-header which was kind of like similar venues to what we'd just done with summer i think but um yeah i think that's the right order i, can't, I don't know whether we've done anything in between or not i can't remember but yeah we we've done like a few little tours with them and then they got quite a bit bigger as well we supported them on one of their bigger ones which now would probably be small for them but at the time it was like universities and stuff yeah that was like a step up i think it might have been like their third album or something but yeah we done like a bunch of a bunch of gigs with them so were you so so it says here you signed in july 2001 with emi was that through during those tours with Biffy Clyro, could you feel like a bit of a buzz or a bit of a something was happening? I can't really remember the yeah. order of things. I'm afraid. Um, I remember that we um, we done like a demo at EMI's publishing studio. Okay. Uh, I think there's, there was just like a small gaff um, in central London. And I think they would just, they would constantly rotate bands in there. It's just, they put somebody in, they put you in there for like two days and you record whatever you can. And I think it's just a way for them, you get a free demo out of it and they get to like size you up and maybe kind of get like a, a first listen to something. Um, okay. And so like we went and done like a demo in there uh, and it was I Can Climb Mountains and Sick Happy and I think maybe Cut Down. I think mm -hmm. it was those ones or Night Vision or something um but then like that demo we started kind of you know sharing with people as well um and a label that was downstairs from our manager um they were called superior quality they put out stuff like the blue tones okay and, like he picked it up he's like this is you know it's kind of we were clearly like probably the heaviest thing that would, that would have been on the label but he put out the, the demo as a single we kind of got it remastered i think um, and so that single, then it was like single of the week in Kerrang and got like a good review kind of pretty much everywhere. And at that point, that's where like other labels started kind of like, um, like really stepping up their interest. There were people that would kind of like turn up to our gigs because they just do, you know, like there's A&R men at kind of the right type of London shows more, more often than not, I think, or there was at the time. But yeah, then you could tell that there were people that were kind of in like seriously interested in in what we were doing and then when did that kind of turn into like um 
a contract or like you know moving forward and and getting into the recording of your first album uh i can't quite remember like when we signed the deal it all felt like it happened yeah at a nice pace okay (laughs) you know like we were signed pretty early in our life i suppose in in the life of the band um but as i said like you know we we had kind of we had that kind of head start of coming from other bands and things like that and um and we had kind of gotten quite tight and and arrived with like a with a like seven or eight songs set straight away do you know what i mean like Mm. there was like only maybe one or two of the tunes fell away and became b-sides or whatever but like the the kind of a good chunk of the neon handshake was probably our set just kind of going around playing kind of tiny gigs to like no people and it was quite impactful because they are kind of quite sledgehammery kind of you know it's quite easy to just hold a beer and kind of nod along to you I suppose yeah I mean, that was that was certainly my experience. I think I saw you guys first. It would have been the start of 2002 with um, 100 Reasons, and it would have been in the Fleece and Firkin in Bristol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, that was absolutely my experience of it, was the tightness and the heaviness and the, the rhythms are so easy to get into and kind of process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, so then it felt like we got signed kind of um quite early but then we st- we had a few different kind of recording sessions a couple of false starts or you know where we just record we recorded like um three or four songs with Andy Gill uh from okay. before at his home studio and that was like a single that was like a single version of you drove me to it um and then we started looking for a producer to kind of like do the album we had a couple of false starts on that as well where we kind of done some tracks and they sounded cool but it just like we, we were just desperate to to do it right this time do you know what I mean again that keep on kind of going back to just wanting to do it right yeah yeah <laughs> and I remember you know we were kind of um we were into the, the there's no doubt we were into that refused record um you know just but just the sound of it as as much as the songs you know what I mean it's just it's it was big and it was explosive and it was kind of, it kind of had the polish that I suppose like um, our label wanted, but it had the energy that we really wanted. And, you know, I think some of our first recordings on EMI, it felt like, uh, like the polish was there, but maybe not like the kind of actual, it wasn't kind of like going to rip your head off kind of thing. Um, and we were kind of, we, we were saying that like every time you'd kind of come out of the studio, you'd have like a little debrief with people that worked at the label and they were okay. all, they were all super cool about it. And they seemed to be on our side. Um, you know, they kind of got what we were saying. Uh, and in the meantime as well, we kind of picked up, we picked up like an American manager, which was just nuts as well. Okay. So all, all of a sudden, like our kind of, our clout just seemed to kind of, go through the roof for like a really short period of time basically Papa Roach's management kind of and we were like yeah of course (laughs) and it just meant like there was a really small period of time where just we could make outlandish suggestions to EMI and they were just thinking these guys could be the next Papa Roach let's just say yeah (laughs) I mean obviously it didn't turn out that way (laughs) is is that how you ended up at Sound City it is exactly yeah 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 Yeah. total result um 
so, but yeah, we did, you know, we kept on saying to producers, like, we'd love the sound of this refused record, you know, that this is kind of the energy that we're going for. Like the drums sounded like they're in a live room, but you can mm. hear every single kind of, uh, every single part of the kit. The guitar sounded not overly processed. It's just a brilliant, dirty guitar sound. Yeah. You know, because it was also the time where just, I don't know, this kind of, Pro Tools rock, do you know what I mean? Where everything just sounds the same and it's exactly the same kick drum and exactly the same snare drum. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I was super desperate that we didn't sound like that. Um, but yeah, as I say, like we, with that kind of increased level of clout for a little period, we managed to get, uh, EMI kind of agreed to just do stuff with with the um, with Pele and Eskil, the producers of The Shape of Punk to Come and they agreed that we could do it in LA near our super like high rolling <laughs> managers. So yeah, we just went out there for six months and had an absolute ball. It was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was. I mean, for the, for those listening who don't know, Sound City is, is well, firstly, you should go and watch the Dave Grohl Sound City documentary. Um, which I don't know if you've seen, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, but the people who have recorded at Sound City is basically everyone. It's all your favourite records were recorded there. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, Rage Against Machines' first record, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses, um, Nevermind was recorded there. So, like, yeah, it's 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 the place. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not, it wasn't terribly glitzy or anything. Like, you know, you you would kind of walk into kind of, like posher kind of studios uh, all over the place really, but you just kind of go in there and it's just like a vibe. Do you know what I mean? It had a smell and it had like, it was like dark seventies kind of wood. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, it looked yeah. like it looked like people hadn't really updated parts of it for good reason. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, cause it's just amazing the way it is. And you know, I think the desk that was in the control room that we were working in, that was like the stuff of legend. I think that's the one which Dave Grohl kind of goes on about in the film. Yeah. But also just the live room, it, you know, it's just brilliant for for tracking drums and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so it was a total result. We we loved every second of it, uh, and just yeah. immersed ourselves in. You know, we we just obsessed over the record by day, and then you know would go and see bands and kind of drink beers at night. It was just very cool. Wow. That sounds very heavenly. Um, I did want to nerd out and ask a little question about guitars because you're the first guitarist we've had on for a while. <laughs> so, that kind of, your the sound of that record is quite unique, I think, in that it does, the, the strength and the depth of the guitar and that kind of, I assume that um, Mezaboogie dual rectifier sound is that something that you were you laboured over and you were particularly chasing, or was it just something that kind of came out of of you as a group? Yeah, it was kind of it was more experimental actually than than okay. So like, whenever we play live, I use uh, a Mesa Boogie and I just I dial in the same tone, you know, and like I, between our last few tours, you know, they've been like maybe five years apart from each other. Okay. I'll just roll in on day one, get it exactly how it was and just sound like it did five years ago. And it sounds brilliant and I love it. And it's such a kind of like great live sound. And everyone who kind of like works with us or other bands, they kind of like, that sounds good. But whenever it comes to being in the studio, we um, we tried to kind of like just 
play a bit more. So I think there are Mesa Boogies on every track, but it's not the it's you know it's not the overwhelming bulk of it. It's just a part of it. We tried to use as many different guitars and guitar amps as we possibly could. Okay, uh, loads of overdubs again back in Sweden at um, Pelle and Eskil's studio, and they just had like shed loads of toys, and you know we just tried them all really. So yeah, it it kind of was a bit. It, it was a combination of loads and loads of different guitars and amps to kind of get all of those sounds. Every, everything's a bit diff different on that, on that album from track to track, I think. Um, I know there's like, I don't know, I'm not sure if we use something like 15, 20 snare drums on that record. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay. It's just like, we kind of just went really deep. We just went a bit nuts on it, <laughs> uh, you know, because we couldn't, you know, because it was the right thing to do. Amazing. Um, so if we could play, what would be your favorite song to play from that record right now? Uh, I would say Three of Clubs, if that's all right. For absolute pleasure. So everyone, please enjoy Three of Clubs by Hell is for Heroes. So when the album came out, uh, number 16 UK charts it got amazing reviews by like everyone um, you guys must have been buzzing after all that kind of hard work drinking beers in LA it's, yeah, yeah it turned it, out it well went, yeah it, it really did like we um I remember we we um we then once we'd recorded it in um Sound City we went to Sweden to just finish some of it like just a couple of overdubs and a bit of vocals and then for Helene Eskil to mix it. Uh, so that was, whenever people are mixing records, I'm not sure whether it's changed nowadays, but it involves just tons of sitting around, I think, while they're just, you know, because it takes hours to kind of get it up to a point where the band come in and have a listen and then you kind of start saying, that guitar's not loud enough, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but, and at that time, we, I, I seem to remember that bands like A and hundred reasons in that they were they were kind of um they had new albums out and it was all kind of going really well for them do you know what I mean and I just remember thinking god I really can't wait until we get this record out because it feels like it's such a good time like we we know those guys they're all having like a good a good time of it we just want to get back and get it out um yeah Good times and and that kind of moves me on to the next question you mentioned already bands like 100 reasons fume for a friend a um they're all releasing um incredible albums did you feel like this is it this is like the best time to to be part of this kind of group of bands and did did you kind of was there like a competitive spirit or was it kind of we're all in this together type thing yeah, it definitely wasn't. Uh, we didn't feel competitive um, because also, like I suppose, like our attentions were, we were just we we kind of locked ourselves away from it all while we were in America, and we were kind of, I don't know, you starting to see other things over there and other bands and a slightly different scene as well. Um, you know, we were kind of, um, we were in going to gigs of stuff that probably we wouldn't play alongside. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it definitely wasn't competitive, but it was just like a really nice thing because we'd been 
uh, we played shows with some of them. I'm not sure whether we'd played with A, like whether Hellas for Heroes had played with A at that point, but we did later on. Um, yeah, it was just good to see it all going well for them, really. Um, and we just kind of felt like it was, there was definitely a moment for louder kind of rock. That was what we were, so that was good. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> yeah, time. It's, yeah, it's kind of like, I think it was just after the strokes or something, wasn't it? Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, we uh, we often wonder when that strokes period, short period was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, do you know I what? I've, was... got my, I've got my light on a timer. I'm just going to put it back on. That's all right. <laughs> just been plunged into darkness. There we are. <laughs> Does that does that mean it's time to stop working or go to bed? Or? You know, I just have like things kind of just turning off. Uh, so I'm in my kitchen now, and I've normally finished being in the kitchen for the day. <laughs> so the lights go off. Um, so obviously, your band were you're very much on an upward trajectory at this time. Is that kind of something? How do the conversations go in the band at this at, at this time? Is it kind of discussing how you're going to then go on to another level or are you just enjoying it as as it kind of happens it, it was just enjoying it you know for because we'd kind of done it right and yep. it was kind of it was just like kind of bearing the fruit of all the stuff that we'd done up until that point you know the album turned out how we wanted it to gigs were kind of uh they were good and they were kind of getting bigger and that just felt you know, just like we kind of put in the work to to kind of make that happen. It just, we didn't kind of talk about what was next. We just, just done that. But I remember like we'd kind of, uh, around that time, I think whenever you put a single out, you'd put like maybe two CDs in a vinyl or something to try and get as many people to buy loads of different formats, I suppose. That, that seemed yeah, to be yeah. the, the vibe of the day. And so you'd end up having to write like five or six B-sides per single as well something crazy so you can kind of give people loads of different songs across the cd1 and cd2 and stuff like that uh and I, but I, I also remember there were just there were a few songs in there that just came really quickly as well and we were just thinking oh bloody hell this is just so easy <laughs> you know, we've, we've just done like the album now we're smashing out these and these are all bloody brilliant as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, God, a good place to be. yeah yeah and then like um but there was stuff where i i remember thinking god i think maybe we should kind of hold one or two of these back just in case like it gets tough like whenever mm -hmm. writing another 12 or 15 or 20 songs for the next album but we just stuck them all out as b-sides um because we weren't really kind of thinking too far ahead yeah so this is we're kind of talking around 2004 and we've We've spoken to a few different people in bands and stuff, and we were talking to um, Matt Pryor from the Get Up Kids the other day um, about kind of um, fatigue of of touring. And obviously, with Symposium, and then you it sounds like you didn't really have a break, and then you went into Hell Is for Heroes. You must have been kind of working as a, a touring musician for a you know a lot a good few years at this point. Did you ever feel kind of fatigued by it all, or was it all just too much fun? No, it was good. It was good fun. Um, yeah, no, it's all good. No problem. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Those Americans need to uh, stop moaning then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, uh, you know, 
but, but by then I was still probably only like 22 or something 23 yeah yeah you know like I'd say when once we were kind of part way through touring the second album then um yeah then it, it started started to get a bit tougher yeah 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 I guess as you get older <laughs> yeah but also just like you know to be completely blunt it's like if it just stays the same or kind of you know or doesn't you know if it kind of tails off in any way mm. it's kind of it's yeah it's a bit, bit more of a downer isn't it like I suppose like Coldplay probably keep themselves kind of excited by just kind of I don't know painting Wembley a different color each time they play it or something because they've kind of just there's no venue bigger for them now is there they just kind yeah. of yeah. you know but like <clears throat> there were other places where we could where we could go certainly on album one so we were kind of shifting up through the gears of you know like playing the borderline to the Astoria or wherever it was at the time and that was just a massive buzz but then you know without wishing to sound like a dick like you kind of pass through like the same venue in kind of I don't know Leicester or whatever and it's you know it's not it's not the next one up or the next yeah. one it's just the same one and you've done it like five times in a row it's like this is cool but we were here like 12 weeks ago you know yeah 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 that makes that so, makes to total sense yeah so i think uh you know then you kind of you find i think you find other ways you try and play with other bands like you know and if you can get onto a tour where you're playing to like a different crowd or a bigger crowd or just like a a crowd which normally wouldn't like check you out then yep then you can kind of get get a buzz that way instead. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and then uh, there seemed to be a lot of shit going down with labels at this point, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, what, I mean, you, you don't need to tell us the full story, obviously. But, um, what exactly happened is, is, am I right in thinking that the subsidiary of EMI that you were on basically ended and that was that was that uh, was it as simple as that or i don't know no it wasn't it wasn't quite as simple as that it was um so because yeah, it was like emi chrysalis i think was what we were on um but i remember like a new i was in i think they're managing directors or whatever whoever the big cheese was at the time whenever we were on album one big cheese was perfectly content to leave us to do our stuff and our a and r team around us just were left to their own devices and it was all really lovely and we enjoyed it massively. And then whenever it came to album two, um, started off, I think along the same kind of track, but then a new kind of like head uh, person came in and uh, like he just wasn't convinced. He was kind of, that's just as simple as it uh, as as it can get. Like he just kept on saying, "Just go back in and demo a few more." And we were kind of like, dem we were demoing like so many songs, <laughs> uh, and then, but we were we were perfectly content to keep on trying because there was a part of us which kind of thought, "Yeah, we can we can be better. We can do better than what we've got." Like we hadn't run out of steam, and we hadn't kind of exhausted we hadn't exhausted it. Saying, "Well, we've got no more songs in us." We were just like, "Yeah, we'll keep on doing it." But then I seem to remember him saying something about like the way we dressed or something. And at that point, it was just a bit like, fuck off, mate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, like, why don't you dress a bit like these lot? It's like, why don't you just go and 
fuck yourself. Do, do one, mate. <laughs> yeah, and, and at that point, I think we just said, look, shall we just call it a day? Can we just take these songs and kind of go and do what we're going to do? We want to kind of work with Pele and Eskil again. They were already talking about, like, you know, I can't even remember, but some kind of super heavyweight American producer, which is like a sign of good faith, but it was just not what we were looking to do. You know, it felt like they were trying to like mold us. This new chap was trying to like mold us into something which we were not. Uh, so we did off, we basically offered to, to leave. And at that point we kind of uh, like, he was pretty much, he was open to it. There's no, no two ways about it. And we had to kind of like come to some agreement to kind of take some of the bits that we'd already recorded and that we'd liked and stuff. We had to give him some, some money or something. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, basically we kind of, it, put simply, I think we kind of bought our way off it. And then again, like the next day or the next, within the next week, we were in Sweden just recording the second album ourselves. And Justin was like saying, well, look, I've just set up a record label. So why don't we just do it like that? It's like, oh, all right, nice one. Uh, and yeah, and so that, that's how it kind of got released in the UK and then Obviously, that's a way tougher way of doing things, and it brings its own set of struggles and internal strains as well. Because uh, you know, I, I was quite I was quite comfortable on a major label. I, it kind of suited me quite nicely because just nice stuff happened to me all the time. Do you know what I mean? I'm into it, uh, so it was a bit of a bind to kind of like as much as I loved all the DIY stuff. I'm I probably was never convinced that an English band could go and just, you know, have, have the career of a Fugazi. Because again, you're kind of like hitting Leicester every 12 weeks. If you're like American, you can hit a different city and still not play the same place within like two or three years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So even if our expectations were lo much lower and we were fine with that, just I think that where we were coming out of and how we were doing things, it just immediately limited the size of, what it could what it could possibly be from then on do you know what i mean yeah it was kind of it was a bit it was a bit weird it was it was a bit tough um, yeah but it was also the only thing that could have happened for us to kind of continue because i think we just would have got driven into the ground you know just trying to like get us to wear i don't know some stupid stuff or whatever <laughs> I want to know what they wanted you to wear. Was it tighter t-shirts and yeah, I mean, bigger you know, studs? I, I remember the dude saying, "Can you dress a bit like the Lost Prophets?" And yeah, just, I, was, I thought that would come up. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm uh, I sure mean, yeah. in hindsight you're pleased that you didn't. Yeah, I mean, you know, yes, of course. <laughs> but you know, those clothes wouldn't have suited us anyways. Like, look at us. <laughs> I mean, fair play for for sticking to your guns and um, and as you say, kind of, you felt quite comfortable on the major label, but kind of, you know, sticking with the yeah, band we had and, kind of and going like, with it. the relationship we had with Pele and Eskil, it it almost felt like they were sixth and seventh members of the band, and like we had like a huge amount of loyalty to them, and they were in our ear the whole time as well. Going, do you know what? We can just do it all ourselves. Just like let's just kind of get on with it. These guys are just slowing you down, and we were definitely thinking that you know we were all in agreement that we were kind of they were deliberately kind of stopping what 
stopping our progress. They didn't want us to kind of carry on down the road we were trying to go down, I suppose. Yeah. And what was the, uh, when you finally were in the studio recording that album, what was the kind of vibe in the band? Were you all kind of excited for the future or? No, the vibe in the band was quite bad, I seem to Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, we were quite unsure. Like, yeah, there were definitely like lots of kind of drunken arguments and stuff like that. You know, it it was kind of pretty tense. Um, And I think just the fact that we finished the record was like a good, like that was kind of an achievement because we were being kind of quite horrible to each other. Okay. at, at the time and then we you know when we kind of went back on the back on the road and kind of uh you know we kind of worked through our issues and stuff like that uh and kind of made got used to our new kind of conditions and then that kind of brought it just brought a different uh it was like a different chapter to the band i suppose because then i think like um burning heart got in contact and they put out Transmit Disrupt in Europe and re-released it in England and Epitaph put it out in America, which is, you know, even though they're probably not even aware they put it out to us, it's like <laughs> amazing. <laughs> like it's kind of got that little E on the back of the record. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Smashed it. So, you know, there were like little victories there that we kind of, that we had. Um, yeah. But right. it's very, very different. Have you got any uh, favourite songs off that album that we can play? uh yep i think um i think models for the program is quite good nice let's play that so it feels like after the re-release you must have pretty quickly gone back into the studio for the self-titled record no or did that happen a bit later <clears throat> yeah no it probably was quite soon after that uh like you know we kind of we were actually in quite a good place by then like we i think we were asked to do a we were asked to do a tour around europe um mm-hmm. i think it might be with boy sets fire or someone okay yeah, I, think, I think it was them and like i know that like loads of our mates were quite excited about it but by then we were pretty burnt out yeah uh and I just remember like we were kind of getting into like really mundane discussions about like, you know, sh- sharing a bus with them. It's like, I think, I don't know, by then it's probably like late twenties. I can't even remember how old I was, but just like the, <clears throat> we weren't up for it is basically what I'm getting at. <laughs> didn't, really want to, didn't really want to kind of go on tour, sharing a bus around Europe, but also like, you know, we were the we were the support band. They were a bigger band than us in in those circles and probably in all circles. Um, but you know, then it's just it just didn't feel equi- equitable or particularly fair. And I just feel like uh, got, I've just got massive. I have such a strong sense of injustice whenever things aren't kind of going my way. I just okay. It brings like the it brings the teenager out in me. I'm sure. But I just, I just felt like people kind of, people just kind of thought, oh my God, you've just kind of pulled out this tool. What is wrong with you? But really right. there was a lot, there was a lot going on there. Like the actual kind of function of the tour, how it would happen, what we'd be responsible for, you know, even just like getting the bus back to Germany. It's like, wait a minute, if we finish in London and I live 15 minutes down the road, can you pay somebody else to kind of get it back to Germany? It was just yeah. like, 
these were negotiations that we were having with like a faceless American kind of tour manager who we'd never dealt with before. And it was just a bit like, we just don't want to do it. Don't want to do it. So we didn't go on that tour. Uh, and then we just went and wrote songs instead. <laughs> uh, and that felt much nicer. Because uh, we were all kind of like, that's just the vibe that we were going for. It wasn't, we kind of had a, a strong sense that this would be like our last, uh, okay. our last record as a full-time band. And we just wanted to make it feel nice again because so much of the second album had felt quite jarring, you know, in our existence. So it was just like, let's just make a record that we're all kind of happy about making. Um, you know, we can all look each other in the eye and go, we're all having fun we're all going to be cool whenever this is out uh, and we'll only kind of book a handful of shows that we want to do. You know, we're not going to get back onto like the treadmill of just doing like a billion gigs at the same place again and again and again. So we kind of, yeah, I think we said that it was going to be our last set of gigs. Uh, yeah. And we've done like just some, some nice ones, you know, like we played at a Bush Hall in Shepherd's Bush. Like we probably could have done something quite a lot bigger, but it was literally around the corner from the studio where we, had worked on the third album, you know, mm -hmm. like we, we kind of got a studio, uh, we, we got, got it for like 12 months or something. It was just some, some empty room and we just put loads of kit in it ourselves and then just went through a process of rehearsing and writing and demoing in there. And then we go out and then we come back and we like listen to the tunes in there. So like just playing the bush, it was just something nice. And we played like a, a place that we wanted to play in Glasgow. We, only played like a handful of cities I seem to remember and it was all like cities that we wanted to go to <laughs> things like that uh and then yeah we were just quite happy whenever it all ended it was like we've kind of we've left quite a nice little corpse here <laughs> <laughs> like you know we're, we're quite proud of it we can kind of look back and say we still want to meet up for a beer and we still want to do be be in each other's lives and stuff like that uh that's kind of what we wanted from the, the from the third album that's lovely that sounds like such a positive place to be rather than you know you hear about the way that other bands break up and stuff that sounds really sounds really lovely well yeah i mean like, we've known each other for a long time yeah like, some of us a super super long time there was no way that we were going to end in in anger or acrimony or anything like that it's like it's like how do we how do we kind of like put a nice full stop on on this so that's what we kind of work towards and then it kind of meant that whenever 100 reasons asked us to do those gigs in 2012 it was much easier for us to kind of go do you know what that sounds lovely you know because we we left it all with a, a nice taste in our mouths and stuff like that um we'd love to play um a song from that record before we get into kind of the reunion stuff um one thing matt and i noticed as we were both listening to the to the third record today is there's lots of instrumental sections in it was that like a conscious thing or something that just kind of happened during those 12 months uh i mean you know we we always kind of yeah just, you know like whenever you have like a, a break at band practice you know you just kind of would carry on playing more often than not, or somebody would pick up an instrument that's different to what they normally play. Mm -hmm. We always kind of did. So even on Transmit Disrupt, I think there's a couple of instrumental little passages and stuff, and they were like edited down because it just, it didn't feel like a normal thing 
for us to do. But by the third album, yeah, I mean, like, we probably could have could have had, you know, it could have been twice as long, and but a lot of it would have been instrumental, I suppose. But we would just kind of we would just work around ideas and stuff where it was clear it was never going to be like a normally formatted three minute rock song. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it was definitely a deliberate thing. Great, because it feels really richer for it. Yeah. Oh, nice one. <laughs> um, is there a is there a particular favourite of yours we could play to finish that record off on the on the show today? Yeah, I like You've Got Hopes. Yeah, me too. So glad you said that. Um, Everybody, please enjoy Um, You've Got Hopes by Hell is for Heroes. So you you mentioned it briefly already, the the 100 Reasons shows in 2012. God, it's 10 years ago. Um, (laughs) That's quite scary. Um, So was it an easy decision to, to kind of jump on board those shows did the the band ask you themselves how did how did that all kind of come yeah back? i can't remember i can't remember how we were asked but like we would uh, you know like a f- few of us would be going out with larry in particular yep. all the time anyways like we were same circle of friends same kind of we'd, we'd go out all the time do you know what i mean and there was always to kind of talk about it and i think there was like a period where he was say i've oh, gone gone and we would just kind of like just be like knobs and kind of go no <laughs> but more just more just to be knobs than to actually mean no uh but we had like we had the same booking agent as uh 100 reasons as well and he quickly kind of whipped it into shape he's like yeah you should do it it'd be good it'd be a good laugh these would be like nice shows so i think there was only meant to be two like one in london and one in manchester or something uh yeah and we were kind of that was no great hardship so we we said yeah <laughs> Yeah, so um, myself and James were at those shows, and uh, be honest, we were both um, we were yeah. Well, no, genuinely, that's what I was going to say. We weren't kind of like you know when you see a band that you've you've loved before and they've been away for a while, you you go with a little bit of kind of you're a bit nervous that it won't be quite as good as it used to be. And if anything, you guys notched it up another level. Um, did you? feel that that was the case or we did actually yeah you did did? okay yeah we did you know because again like we'd left such a nice taste for ourselves on the the end of the third album it was like well if we do this we don't want to be crap Mm. Uh, so we practiced a lot and we took care of like how it was going to look made sure that we had the uh, the team that we wanted on the show so like the guy who kind of mixed us on our first tour and like he was unavailable and if we went on to the second album and but we were able to kind of get him back for those hundred reasons shows and we knew it was going to sound like big uh yeah we knew it was going to look big we knew that we were going to have done our homework and kind of like been tight um so yeah it did feel like a, a step up and again whenever it finished it was like yeah we've we've done ourselves proud mm on that you know it's like we we um it was we deliberately didn't undercook it like we really wanted to make it cool and then uh the same again like whenever we'd done our own tour in 2018 so again like that wasn't really our kind of thinking our our agent was like how about it would you fancy kind of doing it like i'm sure there's an anniversary you can kind of like tie up to, to kind of like do do a few gigs or whatever 
um, and yeah, mentioned it to the boys and we kind of got, got to thinking that we would be up for it and it'd be nice to, to do a little tour. But then immediately thought, well, if we're going to do it, we've got to do it properly. Like, you, yep. you know, like, I feel like just, it's almost like the, the more detached you are from day-to-day -day life in a band, the more control we seem to have over it. The, the more we're able to shape what, what we want it to be. Like whenever you're just in the middle of like, making something work like for example you know our touring cycle in out on album two you know like there'd be gigs there that none of us particularly wanted to be at I'm sure because we'd been out for such a long time but it was the, it was our job and there were you know it's like what else do you do you know we were just kind of in the thick of it really once you kind of pull yourself out it's like okay it's been like five years what do we want this two weeks to go like you know and and so we rehearsed like probably like four or five months in advance, like oh, just wow. full backline, like, cause we had access to a nice place to rehearse anyways, you know, it was kind of, so it meant that we could just leave our equipment there and just go and play whenever we wanted. So we would do like three nights a week, like four or five months in advance. And like two or three nights in, I think we probably could have said, you know what, we could actually wing this. Like we were tight after like two or three days but we continued just for five or six months. And then as we got closer and closer, you know, we stepped it up again, just kind of like made it more serious, like the actual kind of kit that we were going to have on the road kind of like showed up the week before, even down to like the carpet we were going to stand on, stuff like that. And we started, spoke to somebody about lights. It'd been like years since we'd kind of like put on a bit of a light show ourselves and stuff. And we kind of knew how we wanted it to feel and how we wanted to come across. So it just felt like we had a huge, uh, oh, yeah, a huge amount of focus to just make it cool. Yeah, that's, that's so it interesting does to hear you say that. Yeah, it, so. it feels like a massive step. I, I feel like the last bunch of gigs that we've done have been our best ever. Yeah, well, I we would agree 100%. Um, and I, I remember at those 2012 shows and at the headline shows, in 2018 i think it was um me and james just look at each other going holy wow. shit because <laughs> because <laughs> of course us as fans we just got this image of you you know you might have had a couple of practices and then you kind of you turn up and you, you're never quite sure what you're gonna get um yeah. but yeah we, wow we, it was awesome. we spent we spent every penny every single penny that we knew we were going to make on fees and stuff on just making it cool you know, like it wasn't about, um, it wasn't about kind of like a little kind of payday or anything for us. It was mm. just like, we want to do it because we want to see each other. We want to be with each other. And if we're going to do it, we do it properly. And like our payment is almost just like being able to hang with each other and kind of like enjoy the like fruits of, you know, like the fact that there's like 48 cans of beer sat for us to like, so, you know, to socialize after the show, that's kind of, that was kind of our payment really do you know what i mean yeah. like, uh, we just wanted to make sure that it looked and felt the best it possibly could yep uh well you certainly succeeded um <laughs> which which brings us on i guess to the 100 reasons tour next year next year isn't it yeah mm -hmm. um you go again so do, do the boys in 100 reasons need to be worried are you been rehearsing for six a, months already yeah, I'd be massively worried if I were them, yeah. Uh, no, we are going to start, I think, in December. So it's still like a good two or three months out. Maybe we're getting a bit cocky now after 
and we get only giving it like two months, but we are gonna we are gonna rehearse. We've actually started demoing some new songs actually. Oh wow! Wow, so, uh, that is exciting. Yeah, I mean, you know, we kind of we've been threatening it for a while, um, and like you know, we've kind of we've gone we've gone through a couple of different versions of stuff. Just want to make sure it's not rubbish. <laughs> But I think we're, we're we're at a point where we kind of where we like it, and we you know I don't know whether we'll be able to get it done in time like, you know released in any way in time for the tour, but we'd certainly we're aiming to try and record it before Christmas and you know even if we just put it up on Spotify so there is just something new because yeah it's got to be different to what we did on the last tour, so you know I think if we can kind of play a couple of songs from. From some of our other records and maybe even a new one or two it would just be a kind of quite a nice thing to do you know just feel feel like we you know we want to make make an effort to do it properly yeah for sure um are there going to be any headline shows around that time or is it just purely the shows with 100 reasons no it's just purely those ones okay uh like i don't i don't know whether we, you know i think there's probably got to be a period of time where you can't do other shows anyways or I'm guessing do you know what I mean like okay yeah I see yeah yeah we were offered a couple of shows this summer which actually sounded quite fun but uh we, but we, we weren't ready so we didn't want to rush it but uh maybe some more in the future <laughs> <laughs> I don't, who knows we are quite we are slow to get our stuff together whenever we whenever we commit to it we do our very best but it's just actually committing to it uh, so yeah let's see like if we kind of get these tunes recorded and they sound the way we want them to you know in a in a way where we're happy to share them then there might be a reason to kind of play our own show at some point as well but we're perfectly content just kind of going and and opening up 100 reasons nice and we look forward to it um I guess you've already done it with the kind of uh, little tease of a potential new song, but is there anything you want to plug before we kind of say our thank yous and goodbyes? No, 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 we don't have anything to plug really. Like we'll give, we'll give those a good go. But as I say, we've, we've done some demos and they sound, sound pretty good to us. Uh, so yeah, if we can kind of get them sounding as, as we, as we want them to, then we'll start letting people know where they can hear it. Well, if you awesome. need an extra pair of ears, we're always here yeah. to help out. Yeah, that's very kind. <laughs> um, listen, Will, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak to us. Um, <laughs> it's been awesome, really interesting. Um, and uh, people won't know, obviously, listening, but um, you've actually got COVID at the moment, I, I believe. So uh, <laughs> you, you've... You've, uh, you can't taste or smell anything, but thankfully, thankfully for us, you, you still give us the time um, to chat. Um, and we hope that you can taste the biscuits again. again yeah, so. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks so much. Is there any um, song that we can just uh, play out with? Favourite song to play live or something? Uh, I mean, I can climb mountains. Sounds Let's like an obvious choice. Awesome. Thank you, Will, so much. Thank you very much. So, James, did you enjoy that chat? So much. <laughs> so much. I'm absolutely buzzing. 
it felt like we were talking to an old friend um and wow just so much there that i was um incredibly excited to learn yeah it was awesome wasn't it so many exclusives we lost count um which is nice uh and how old would i have been 16 17 18 year old matt was losing his shit (laughs) yeah and 21 year old james getting to ask will about amps pretty excited (laughs) yeah you you lost me there to be honest (laughs) was that were you talking about that kind of v-shaped guitar thing no okay Okay. no that's why i stayed quiet yeah that guitar the v-shaped thing is called an explorer okay we were talking about that amp so the big black box that sits behind him oh you weren't even talking about a guitar no (laughs) (laughs) i I might as well have just walked off and left you to it at that point (laughs) that was Uh, look i had to get one in for the nerds i hope you enjoyed it guitar nerds you you covered tech and i covered symposium (laughs) (laughs) um amazing so yeah we've got to stop talking haven't we so um thank you everyone for listening go and listen to hell is for heroes songs um listen to symposium songs when they turn up on spotify we'll post about that if that's real yes Um, i'm so excited (laughs) (laughs) um follow us on spotify it's a little button just next to where you're listening says follow Uh, on it just follow on it go and uh follow us as well on the instagram uh at email dad podcast um and we're nearly at the end of the year yeah, this couple is our more last, to go. Our last interview. Yeah, that's it. No more chats with people. Just a, an awesome wrap up and good times. Then a little break. Then we're back for season two when we figure out what the hell we're going to talk about. Yeah, what season two is. <laughs> yeah, emo. We're going to be emo metal or something. New metal dad. New metal dad. New metal dad. Yeah, that's Terminally. it. <laughs> yeah, shoegaze dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear okay are we gonna end with another hell is for heroes song yeah we're gonna play out with um my favorite hell is for heroes song uh which is uh the very aptly named slow song here are some emotions and we'll see you all soon